And so I want to start with a, uh, an opening story uh, that I've labelled Voyage to the New World. And it's a story that I heard many years ago and I couldn't find it on the internet and so I've written my own story. So if you've heard this story before, it's my version. <laughs> I've even given it a new title, Voyage to the New World. And so I, I should probably read it, but I'll try and remember it off by heart as it came out of my, out of my heart. Uh, the story really impacted my life um, in incredibly when uh, whoever shared it or whenever, whenever I read it. Uh, and it just wanted, it sort of wanted me to, well, sort of empowered me or encouraged me to go for God's best. And so the story goes, it was uh, in a time in England when uh, the new world had been discovered and there was, uh, there was tickets that were being sold. People were buying tickets to take this voyage over to the new world and to be able to have a fresh start. And there was a middle-aged man who was kind of like your middle, you know, sort of like, I don't know, just a sort of a, a poor kind of a pauper type person in England and he heard the story about the new world with the new opportunities that were going uh, in this place and so he saved up everything that he had and he bought his ticket and he got himself ready and then the day came for all the people to board uh, the vessel and so he went in there with him and he had his blanket and he had his, 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 his food that he got ready because it was a, it was a five to six um, week trip in those days and so he got on board with all the other passengers and, uh, and so the trip began, the uh, ship set sail. And so it was just weeks going by, and he was found himself somewhere to sleep on, on board on the deck. And um, just during the days, he would just walk around the deck and just have a look at the sea and the magnificent scenery, just dreaming about this new world and the things that he was going to do with his life. And uh, three or four weeks or three weeks into the trip, um, the bread was getting a bit dry, and he would look in the windows in the uh, beautiful restaurant, this magnificent banquet that was set out uh, for the people, and he looked at the passengers and just wondered what it would be like to be able to be in there, you know, seated in this lovely place and eating the lovely food, and just looked in there and um, just wondered and just meditated on, goodness, I wonder what it would be like to afford to go into that place. Uh, anyway, they'd uh, arrived in the, in the New World, they arrived in the United States, and all the passengers were disembarking, and the, way the purser and the captain were just standing by the gangway saying goodbye to all the passengers, and everyone was saying thank you for the wonderful trip, and the man was just to the side, and he waited until everyone went, and um, he approached the captain and the purser, and he just said, I just want to thank you for the fine, the fine trip that we had, and they said, Sue, and they called him by name, and said to him, um, we didn't know you were on board the ship. He said, um, there was a place for you in the dining room, and you didn't turn up for, a week, uh, for, for several days, and uh, we thought, oh, maybe you were seasick and down in your cabin, and so we just left you, but after a week, we found, we'd sent somebody down to the cabin and found that there was nobody in the cabin, and, and we thought, that, well, perhaps you hadn't come on board, you'd missed the, you'd missed the, uh, the, the trip. And he said, oh, no, sir. He said, when I purchased my ticket, he said, I could only afford the trip over. And the captain looked at him and just amazed and said, sir, he said that the ticket included everything. It included the dining room, the cabin, all of the functions. And, the, and, and of course, there's just a, a silence that this man, and I put at the end of here, that because the man hadn't read the fine print on his ticket, he hadn't read the fine print on his ticket, he lived like a stowaway for all of that journey over to the new world. And it really is like a, it really is like an, a, a, I guess, a story with the Christians, that God has purchased for us a, a, a ticket, and it includes everything. He said, "I've set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Our enemies are on the earth, and so there's a magnificent banquet that God has presented to us in the presence of our enemies." He said, "Your cup runs over." 
And so God wants us to be able to read the fine print and to see exactly what he has in this ticket, that we can live in that banqueting place. We can live in the fullness of our God right until we journey on and arrive in heaven. But you see, we've got to read the fine print. We've got to get into his word and find out exactly what our God has got for us. And so we've been talking about taking the limits off. And that's that whole message here, is taking the limits off because heaven's freedom is actually here right now. Heaven's freedom is here right now. We don't have to wait until we get there. God says, I want you to start practicing heaven on earth right now. And so ignorance, we looked at that last week, ignorance. God said, for a lack of knowledge, my people go into captivity. For a lack of knowledge. It was for a lack of knowledge that this man who had paid the fear, saved everything he had, he paid the full fear, and yet he lived like a pauper. Jesus Christ has paid the full fear. And don't you think it grieves our Father when he looks on earth and he sees his children living bound and in captivity when everything has been paid for so that we can walk as his sons on the earth and just enjoy this most beautiful creation that he has given to us as a gift. Praise the Lord. And so last week I said that God is not the one, and I'm just going to summarize a few things, and then we're going to really build on what I actually was preaching on last week. Um, But I said here that God is not the ones putting the limits on us. The limits came on us in Adam, and they came off us in Christ. And the Word says it was for this purpose that the Son of God was manifest, or that He appeared on the earth, and that was to undo, to destroy, and to loosen the works of the evil one. And so we're, we're free right now. And so I also see that the, de- the devil has no legal limit. Right now, he has no legal rights, I should say, to bind or to enslave any one of you, any one of us. He has absolutely no legal right. Jesus Christ has set us free. And Galatians, I looked at last week, and I just want to just do some summary here. Some of them are on your outline. It says here, when Paul was talking to the, the children uh, or, or to the church at Galatia, he says, we are not children of bondage, but we're children of the free. He says, you stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and do not get yourself entangled again in a yoke of bondage. And so he's talking here all the way through the New Testament. We're encouraged by the different apostles that wrote the letters to stand in the liberty. We've actually got to do some some stuff. We've got to stand in that place of liberty and not allow Satan to bring us into a yoke of bondage anymore. Praise the Lord. In fact, there's some people, you know, in our churches all around the world, and I mean, there's people in the church here right now, and, and you may be in a yoke of bondage. You may be have something, a bondage in your life and somewhere in your thinking, in your finances or whatever it is. But there's a scripture in the New Testament where Paul says, but the word is not bound. He said, I may be in prison right now, Ephesian church, you know, and when he wrote to the Colossians, he said, I'm, I'm in prison right now for the gospel's sake. He says, but the word is not bound. And so we begin to declare the word of God over our lives like, like Donna was saying. And I'll tell you what, it takes the limits off. It takes the limits off our thinking, off our behaviors, off our personality, off our surroundings. The word of God is not bound. It is a supernatural book which is able to turn confusion into a paradise which is what God did with this earth. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So let me have a look here. 
What's that outline? Has everybody got outlines? If you haven't, you can pick them on um, up in the, uh, in the uh, information center afterwards. And so I pointed out that even though Jesus Christ has set us free, the devil is still going to continue to try and enslave us. That's just who he is. He's the one that enslaves, and so he's going to continue to do that. And we found out that in Peter, and again, don't mind if I um, just summarize the next five minutes because I want to lay a foundation for the scripture that we're going to be looking at in full uh, today. And so 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, You be sober, you be alert, for your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, he is seeking whom he may devour. And so it's interesting how the Apostle Peter, he talks about Satan as like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't just come and devour anybody. And you have a look at a, a lion, for instance, when they're looking to get something to eat. They're looking to devour one of the, one of the, the herd in Africa. These, these, these lions are just stalking the whole, the whole crowd or that whole herd of, of animals. And they're looking for one that's separated. So you need not be out of the church. He's looking for one that's not alert. He's looking for one that doesn't know how he operates. And he'll come on and he will devour that animal. And Satan, Peter is saying here that Satan is exactly the same. He is looking for the Christian who is not alert, who is ignorant of his devices, who doesn't know the word, or who's separated and not even in the body of Christ, not even in a church, a local church. And he will devour that person. Proverbs says that he's taken down many mighty men. And so as we come together and we learn the word and are alert and understand his operations, which was what we're going to get into today and, and more in depth, and we are not going to be able to be devoured by him. We'll be able to stand face to face with him and declare our legal rights. And he will flee from us. The Bible says you resist the devil and he will flee from you. He may come in one way to attack, but the Bible says even in the Old Testament, he will flee before you seven ways. And so we've got to get this kind of truth in our spirits and stand up as sons of God in our sonship, in our authority, in the Word of God. A thousand may fall at our side, 10,000 at our right hand, the Word says, but it's not coming near me. Only with my eyes will I see the destruction of the wicked or with those people that don't know what they're doing on the earth, but it's not coming near me. And so we stand up and allow the word to build dignity and sonship into our lives and be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so we see here that Peter was talking about to stay alert, to watch. And last week I pointed out as exactly what God had said to Adam in the beginning. He said, Adam, you watch, guard the earth, guard your life because there's an enemy out there and he wants to take over your world. And God is saying the same thing to us. Watch our life. Guard our mind. Because there's an enemy that's out there to take over your world, your family, your finances. And so I said last week, and this is where we're going we're, we're to um, launch off from, is that he comes to attack the mind. That's one of his main areas that the devil will come is to attack the mind. And I said, and I just love this, when we were first taught this uh, as young believers, to, oh, I don't know, 27 years ago, uh, we were taught by our pastor then when, when this truth was just coming into the body of Christ, that you are not your mind, that we are not our mind, we are not our body. We are a spirit being made in the image and the likeness of God. That's who we are. We are an internal being that has a, sp a spirit. We have a mind 
our will, our emotions, and those two are connected. And the Bible labels that as the heart. The heart is where the soul and the spirit connect together. It's a magnificent creation. But we are a spirit being. We have a soul and we live in this body. And so we, the spirit, are to tell our mind what it thinks. We, the spirit, are to tell our body how it is going to feel. Come on, stand up on the inside. We are the one that guards our, our, our soul. And we just don't allow anything to come on and, and, and attack our soul. We just don't allow sickness to come and attack our body. We, it has to get past us, the spirit, first before it can come on in. And so Galatians says here, and, and, and this is a new scripture for us, he says, walk in the spirit and you're not going to fulfill the desires of your flesh. And so we are told to walk in the spirit, walk as a spirit beings. And so we need to learn. We're learning what, a, what we are, who we are as a spirit being, because we're told to walk in that world. And it says if we walk in the spirit, we are not going to fulfill the lust, the desires of our lower nature. And so the Bible talks about two natures. He's talking about the spiritual nature that we have within us. And we have the carnal or the flesh nature. And you see, many people are, are just driven or are just sort of just dragged around by their senses. And they come under their senses and just, just swaying. The Bible talks about that everything in the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And so the senses of the world is this way, so we all go that way. And all of a sudden, the world is going to drown or we're going to have the floods. Oh, no, the world's going to get really hot and we're all going to die. I mean, there's a whole sway of doctrine and, and, and fear and economical disasters that are being spoken over. And we all go that way in the world. But you see, we're in another kingdom. And so the church, the body of Christ, the, 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 the sons of God, we walk in the Spirit. And so Satan comes and he attacks. Uh, Paul talks about it. He says, we're at war. <laughs> we are at war. And as I said to you last week, when Stephen and I looked at the World War II in color, and I was talking with my mother, who was in England at that time, and my father, he was one of the, um, the paratroopers in, 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 in the English or the British Army. And she said she remembers the day on the radio in England where you know, Churchill said, we are at war with Germany. You know, she comes up with this, she just, just totally remembers, obviously impacted the whole of the, the United Kingdom at that time. And she remembers this billowing voice coming out through the radio. And you see, this is exactly what Paul is saying. We are at war with Satan. And he gives us, an, uh, gives us a, a little idea of what this war is. And then he talks about the armor of God that we have to be able to stand and to fight against the, 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 the uh, strategies of the wicked one. And so I want to read that first of all, and then we're going to have a look at the armor of God. We're going to have a look at how we are able to use the weapons that our God has given us. We're not going to stand without it. We're not going to be able to stand and take ground without it. Satan will occupy our territory. And so let's have a look and just read. Uh, and this is good news because God is the God that's already overcome for us. And so hopefully as I'm preaching or speaking, I'm not actually putting fear inside you because we're on the winning team. And we're learning how to use these weapons of our warfare. And just the same as in an army, and when they have got nothing else to do, they undo their guns, 
pull it all apart, and then the you know the officer says, put it all back together. Why are we doing this? Pull it apart, put it back together. Why they need to know the weapon of their warfare. And so he said, finally, after Paul has talked in the, in, to the church at Ephesus, and he says, this is who you are. This is what God has done for you. He says, now that all of this has happened, finally, now you're going to put on the armor of God. You're going to be able to stand. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the strategies, or the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now that sounds pretty scary. <laughs> it does to a person that does not, does not know God. But we have got the Son of God, or we've got the Holy Ghost, we've got God on the inside of us. The kingdom of God is within us. He says, therefore, because we've got these unseen spirits that we're fighting against, he says, you take up the whole armor of God. Why do we do that, Paul? He says that you may be able to resist and withstand in that evil day. And so this armor that we're talking about means that we're able to resist, we're able to stand in this day. And then he says, having done all to stand, then you're going to stand, therefore. And so Paul is painting a picture of the world, the unseen world that we're, that we're fighting. Demon spirits that had come, as I said, to take over this earth. And then we found that when Jesus came for the purpose that he came to destroy, to undo all of the work that Satan set up. And so what we are doing is we are enforcing the judgment that has been written on his kingdom. We are here to enforce his defeat. He is already defeated. We are here to enforce it. And it starts in our own lives first. We get a hold of our own lives and then we move on into our neighborhoods, into our cities, into our nations and just allow God. We are the salt. We are the light. We are here to take over. That's what God said. Praise the Lord. And so we find out here he wrote the same thing to um, the Corinthian church. And, and gave them a little bit of understanding here. And this is going to be our theme scripture. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, though we're natural beings here, we've got a natural body. He says, we do not war according to the flesh. We're not, doing, not taking out natural machine guns and fighting human beings here. He said, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural, they're not carnal, but they are mighty in God to pulling down strongholds. And so the new uh, NIV translations, he said, the weapons we fight with have divine power. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so for me, I want to know what that stuff is. I mean, if God has called us to action, we're not in the reserve camp here. God has called every single one of us. Every single one of us is enlisted to use the amazing divine power that he has given to us. And so we have weapons to come against these spiritual beings. And so let's just break this down and have a look at the weapons that, um, that Paul is talking about in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 6, 14 to 18, he says, Therefore stand, having your loins girt about with truth. Now when we're taught about the loins girt about with truth, um, we've been taught and we can see it that the loins is the production center of a human being. And so we've got to have a look at our loins are girded with truth. So what does that mean? That means our imagination. Because, see, because everything starts with a thought. It starts in your imagination. And so you are girding, you are surrounding your imagination with the truth of God's word. And so he says, then put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
You see, we're not standing in our own good works. We're standing in the good works that Jesus Christ did. He says, I have been, he said, he was made sin for us who knew no sin. And I was made the righteousness of God. I didn't commit righteousness. I could never have been good enough. We could not have been good enough as human beings. We were made righteous with God's righteousness. We can stand before the throne of God without any sense of guilt, without any sense of inferiority, that I'm a son of God, I'm as righteous as God is. You are as righteous as God is. We know that so that when we stand before Satan and he says, well, who do you think you are? You just sinned the other, you just shouted at your wife or you just did whatever. You just say, I'm standing in the righteousness of God. I'm not standing in my name. I'm standing in the name of the, that's above every other name. And at that name, Satan, you will bow. And so we stand in that righteousness. We know who we are, like we've just sung. He then goes on to say, and I love the amplified version of this. He says, and having, your, and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with a firm-footed stability, and the readiness produced by the good news, the gospel of peace. Now, I love that because in some translations, it looks like, we, hey, we've got to go and preach the word. That's part of the armor. No, it's not. It's talking here, and I believe the Amplified brings it out, that we have got our feet prepared. In the army, you're not just sitting down. You are prepared. You've got your boots on. You are ready to face any attack. And how can you face an attack? Because you know the word of God. You know that you have peace with God. You know that you're standing in your righteousness. And so bring it on, Satan. I'm standing. You're not knocking me over. We stand in our authority, which is what the gospel has given to us. He then goes on to say, above all, above all, you take the shield of faith, which is the word of God, and that's able to stop every fiery dart of the wicked one. And we can just preach a message on that right now, that the word of God is a bold confession of God's word about who you are in Christ Jesus. You hold that up. And as you hold that up, any darts, any thoughts, any attacks of the enemy, the Bible says that that shield, that will shield you against those attacks. And so again, as God here, we take up the helmet of salvation, protecting our mind protecting our mind, knowing what our salvation package is. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm more than a conqueror. My God causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. I have the blood of Jesus Christ on me, inside me. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. I am one spirit with God. That's our salvation package. Knowing that, having an understanding of all of that and putting that upon our heads. And then he says here, and the sword of the Spirit. He says, so take this, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and being watchful to this end. And the sword of the Spirit is the only aggressive part of our weaponry where we go and we start to take ground. Everything else is offensive where we are coming under attack, but then you've got the sword of the Spirit, which again is the Word of God. It's the Word of God coming out of our mouth and declaring what will be over my family, over my finances, declaring what will be over our cities, over our nations, when decisions are made in high places. No, we won't have that in our nation. We declare this over New Zealand and allow those spiritual words to reconfigure our nation for us. Praise the Lord. 
And it's interesting how he brings here and being watchful. So you're praying with all manner of prayer, all types of prayer. And there's a whole lot of teaching all on the different types of prayer for different situations. And he says, and you being watchful. So you're, you're dressed, you know who you are, and then you watch. And so we're talking about taking the limits off. We gain a knowledge and an understanding of this, and it'll take the limits off our life. It'll take the limits off our world. So again, let's go back to uh, Corinthians and let's pick up from here now that we have a, a brief understanding of what our armor is. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not natural, but they're mighty in God to pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God or the word of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ or to the obedience of the word. Now, I just want to pick up one part here, and we're going to pull this verse right apart just to have a look at it. Strongholds. I looked that up again in the, um, in the bookshelf, and it says here, the stronghold is an area dominated or occupied. So a stronghold is an area that is dominated or it's occupied by the enemy or the allies. It's a stronghold. It's a fortress. And who's ever occupying it, they've got a stronghold on that area. And the enemy, whoever that enemy is, they can't get in there. And they start to, you know, the, the armies that we were sort of seeing when Britain was moving into Germany, and they wanted to take that city and build a stronghold there, and from there send troops out to go get the next one. And so that's what a stronghold is. And Paul is say, saying here, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to pulling down strongholds. So God is wanting us to move in and take some territory that Satan took off us, took off our families, took off our cities and nations. And so what's the stronghold that Paul is talking about? Well, is it, a, is, a, is it physical? Well, it could be. Like when Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, take over nations with the gospel. But you see, here he's talking about, and he labels it himself. He says the arguments. He says, pulling down strongholds. He goes on to say, casting down arguments. And so these strongholds are arguments. They're high things. They're patterns of thought. They're traditions. They're beliefs that occupy the mind. And they've exalted themselves against the Word of God in people's lives, in our lives. And Paul is talking about, what is he talking about? He's talking about occupied territory in a person's mind and occupied territory in a person's body that have allowed to be built up and now Satan has an established hold on that person. And we can have a look and we can see how that, the progression of a stronghold is. First of all, the devil comes in and he comes in with a thought. Comes in with just a suggestion. It's kind of like a snake. Just a kind of a suggestion. Comes on and just floats in there. And if that thought is not captured, if it's not caught, it's going to take a root inside that person's soul. So that person's mind, and then that thought will grow over time, and that thought will just continue, and the person gets used to that thought, used to that way of thinking, and it continues to grow until finally it establishes itself as a stronghold, 
and has shaped that person's personality, shaped their way of thinking, shaped their decisions of life, until finally they don't even know that they're actually in bondage because it's just become a part of them. Built up over time, children being born in certain families and certain beliefs in that family, and it's just a stronghold in their life. That's how they become established. Phobias and fears. Fears of, that people have. What is that? They become just a fear. Oh, I don't like spiders. Oh, I don't like spiders. Oh, it's a spider. <laughs> Started off as a cute thing as a child. We taught our children, listen, good, you've got dominion over that thing. Squash it. Look how big you are. Don't you think the spider feels threatened? But there's all kinds of things that people can get a hold of and just, and just allow in their mind until all of a sudden it's a phobia and people can break out in hot sweats. A people, person going onto an aircraft, and, I don't like planes. And they have to go and take a sleeping pill or something like that and knock themselves out for the trip. Sorry, we need to change flights. <laughs> Persons out to it, wheelchair, bring them out. But you know, it's just funny, but it's, it's, it's not when it's more serious things. Habits and belief systems and addictions and anger and jealousy and just looking at things that we ought not to be looking at. And all of a sudden it's pulls, pulls, pulls until that person's got a major battle on their hands. Some people just give up and just live with, what that, live with it. Have a look here in James. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. We can see the progression here, and so I'm teaching you this so we can understand. So we're going to stop this happening in our lives, and we're going to take ground. It says here, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So that temptation, that thought, Satan knows he's watching. He's watching. So it comes from our own desires. It says, and it entices us and it drags us away. And then these desires give birth to a sinful actions. And then the sin is allowed to grow. And when, sorry, and when the sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now that death is not, we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about death to a dream, death to your finances, death to a marriage, death to whatever. And so first of all, it says here that it starts off as a desire, just a thought coming on, and then it goes into a desire, and it starts to pull us away into a certain way of thinking. It gives birth to an action. I mean, these ladies are doing weight loss God's way. You know that. You think of, oh, that chocolate, the thought of chocolate, that thought of the food, and the desire just comes on in there. Now, no, 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 I'm not having that. And I was, no, no, just keeps on holding it there. Just hold it there. Hold that thought there. That's what Satan does. Just holds it there. No, 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 no. No, it just holds it there for a while. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, okay. Mm -mm. I'll just go and have a look and see what's there. And look in the front, mm, like this. And no, 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 I shouldn't. No, and, and just he just knows to hold the pressure there. Just hold the thought there. Open the fridge. She goes and devours whatever the desire wants her to. She goes back in the lounge and she just feels just dead inside. Again, she's disappointed herself. And it's males too. And that's just one area. 
just, just, just death to the dream to be slim, death to the dream to be able to have control over that food issue. You see, a person does not become enslaved overnight. It just happens, and it starts out with a thought, a suggestion, it grows to a desire. From a desire, it leads to an action, and the action will lead to death in that area. Now, it sounds depressing, <laughs> but God is teaching us how to take the limits off, and this is how we do it. We learn exactly the operation of our spirit being. We learn the operation of our mind and the attack. How is Satan attacking our lives? And then we move on from there. Look at the progression here. Judas Iscariot, John 13, in the Amplified Version, it says here, and this, everyone knows Judas Iscariot. He was one of the 12 apostles that was, that was you know, picked to join um, Jesus. And he was over, he was the uh, treasurer. He was over the finances. And, uh, and so we find that um, Satan was looking for someone to, to betray Jesus. And so he was looking for weaknesses within the 12 apostles. And he found many. I mean, the whole lot of them. I mean, Peter was uh, aggro and this one was that. I mean, it was all over the place. Uh, he could have chosen any one of them. He looked uh, also at um, Judas, and we find here, it says, just before Jesus was taken captive by the Roman soldiers, it says, supper being ended, Satan having already put the thought of betraying Jesus in the heart of Judas. Satan having already put the thought. Satan having already put the thought of whatever into the heart. So he puts the thought there. Now what Judas should have done was flicked it off and said, no, I'm a man of integrity. I'm prepared to die with my, with my Messiah. I'm prepared to die with my Christ. But you see, he didn't. He allowed that thought to come in and to stay there. Now look at the next stage in Luke 22. And this was just as the, the soldiers were coming. And it says, and Satan entered into Judas who was called Iscariot. You see, Satan can't just come and enter into a person. He can't come and do that. He can't come and enter into your life. He can't even come in near, anywhere near a born-again spirit. We cannot be possessed by Satan because we are a spirit being. He can't come near our mind. He can oppress our, uh, our spirit, I should say. He can come and oppress our mind, our emotions, our body, and our world. He can attack there, but he can't come into your spirit. And even for Judas, he couldn't come and enter Judas's life just like that. He has to put a thought in first. And if the thought is not rejected, then he has an entry point and he'll just hold it there and then he will enter that person's life. That's how it happens. And so people don't all of a sudden become a murderer. There was a thought that started of anger years and years beforehand. Praise the Lord. And so... The next point there is watch out for your soul, guard it. That's what God is saying, watch. We are here to watch out for our soul. Matthew says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. You see, we don't want to do something that's wrong. We don't want to fall. But he says, but your body is weak. And so again, he's pointing out the, 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 the dual nature that we have. We, have a, a, we, we are a being that's made in God's image. We can do anything. And we want to serve God. We want to get up and go down to church. We want to be a part of Connect. We want to be involved in ministry. We want to make a difference in our world, out in, the, out in our career. 
and apply ourselves to study. But hey, the flesh is weak. It doesn't want to. It wants to watch television. It wants to sleep in. And so he says here, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And the message translates, look, look how he puts it here. He says, stay alert, be in prayer, so that you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. Doesn't that sound like human beings? Just wandering in, just to danger, and we don't even know. Proverbs talks about that. This man that just wanders down the street, and he doesn't know that it's going to cost him his life. Read the first parts of Proverbs. It just talks about beautiful young people just wandering around. Don't know that they are being led by the sway of the wicked one. And they don't know it's going to cost them everything. And so he puts out here, he says, wandering into temptation without even knowing that you're in danger. There is a part of you that is eager and ready to do anything in God. But he says, there's another part of you that's like a lazy dog. Okay, and I think it carries on and says, by the fire, doesn't want to do anything. And so there's two parts to us, and we just need to identify who we are. Just identify. When you don't feel like getting up to serve God and getting up in church, who's talking? If it's your flesh talking, tell it to shut up and get out of bed. I do that all the time. I mean, you're lying in bed. We all know it. We, we lie in bed thinking, just another minute, just another minute. Who's talking? It's not your spirit. Your spirit doesn't need to sleep. Your spirit neither sleeps nor slumbers. It's like God. Your soul and your body sleep. It needs that rest. And so just take charge of yourself. Oh, I feel like some chocolate. No, you don't. You are the spirit. You don't, don't, you don't, you don't have no desire for that stuff. So who desires that? Your, your, your lower nature. That's exactly how it works. Oh, I don't like that color. You know, all these prejudices, you know, you know, like clothing and things like that. Our spirit doesn't mind. It's free. It's absolutely free. All the opinions that we have are all from our lower nature. We don't have to bind ourselves and restrict ourselves and allow our mind and emotions and body to push us into prisons. We don't have to do that. We're free. And so he's telling us here, that we, the Spirit, are to watch out for our soul. You know, it's like a parent. You know, parents, you, with your little children, you look after your children and you are watching. You're watching for them on roadways. You're, you are guarding them. You should be guarding what they watch on television and just don't allow anything to train your children up. You should be guarding them, and you are. Well, God is asking us to do the same thing with our, with our, with our soul, which is like a child, with our body, which is like a child. We're to guard our body. We don't just let it do anything. You know, children, they would eat all the lollies if they were allowed to. But no, you, the parents, say, no, this is not good for you. You're going to go hyper and run all around the house, and I'm not going to let you do that. Well, God says you can do it as a parent as a, and do that with your children. Do that with your own being. Don't allow your, 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 your body to dictate don't allow your mind to say, I want to watch that movie. You get out of the movie and feel sick. Whereabouts in here? Because it was swearing and cursing and there was all kinds of seduction there. It didn't add anything to you. It pulled away from you. Well, when that somebody says, come watch them, no, 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 it's not for me. No, I'm not into that. I'd rather do this. You are in charge of what you allow and you don't allow. 
So Corinthians, back to Corinthians, it says here, pulling down strongholds, casting down those arguments. Sometimes don't you get those arguments in the mind? You know, it's like just a ping pong match. Who's going to win? Just the things that are happening in the mind. He says, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. He says, casting down, bringing every thought. Why must we do that? Because if we don't, it's going to give an opportunity for that thought to grow. That thought will grow. It will establish itself as a stronghold. And then, as I said before, we've got a real fight on our hands. And so he says, you bring every thought into captivity. You know, when a, first, when, when, when a person first starts out with this, talk about being a big ask. I mean, this is a big ask. I mean, God is saying here, bring every thought captive. That's big, every thought. Do you know how many thoughts we have a day? <laughs> Sorry, I can't come to work. I've got my thoughts. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to get a hold of this stuff. I just don't have time. For, yeah. I, mean, I mean, but God says we can. So we can. And at first, it's incredibly busy. And at first, if you've never done this before, you will think, my gosh. I mean, this is like the London Underground. It's just people and happenings and noise and everything's happening everywhere. I mean, I know, like, my mind, when I started to get a hold of this, it was like a talkback show. <laughs> I mean, it was noisy. And it was just talking all the time inside. And, and my thoughts, I had, I had every opinion under the sun depending on who I'd been with. The last person I was with, I adopted their opinions. I thought it was great, it became mine. And just all the time, I didn't know that you could control your thinking. I didn't even know. I mean, it was a foreign concept that I could control my thoughts. I mean, self-control? Self What's that? I mean, self-control. When we break that word down, it means I control myself. So that's all, that's all self-control is. It's not a big word. It's not, it's, not, it's not hard. It's just me getting a hold of myself and controlling it. And so when I first started to do this, my goodness me, it was pretty hard work, and I was just astounded at the stuff that was just going in and out. You know, drivers sometimes, just go and drive the kids home from school, and just think of all the thoughts that go, all of a sudden a random thought from 20 years ago will come into your mind. Stay there for a while, boom, out goes. Then the next thought will come in, just boom, 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 like this, and it's just all over the place. I mean, no wonder people are exhausted. <laughs> I mean, is it any wonder with all the busyness? And the Bible talks about being spiritually minded as life and its peace. Life and peace is to be spiritually minded. There is, the, the Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. We can grow to have his mind, a mind that's got his peace, spiritually minded, is able to see things from a, a spiritual perspective, a place where we're seated in heavenly places, a place of rulership, where we're looking down on the problems rather than looking up at the mountains, a different place altogether. And so God is telling us here that we're to, we're to abort the thought Adopt that as put it on your mirror. Abort the thought. You see, not every thought that comes into our mind is ours. Did you realize that? 
I mean, when I first heard that, I thought, what a cheek, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a person. And then th- th- all these thoughts are coming, and they're not, they don't belong to me. Isn't that bizarre? That not every thought that, is you, that you are thinking is your thought. It only becomes your thought if you allow it to stay there. When you allow it to stay there, it becomes yours. You've just bought it. And so the same with sickness. I mean, like we said last week, Satan comes with a thought of, of, of a cold or a headache. Just a thought, hmm, yeah, what am I going to give uh, Stefan today? Oh, just a, a bit of a headache. He's used to one of those. Sort that one out. And then the next person, oh, Peter, you know, does his, does his rounds. And just whatever, whatever area you have, just he'll have a look and see what you will accept from him. And so the Bible says here, he says, the thoughts of the righteous are right. This is in our victory program. Half the victory program was written to sort myself out. <laughs> so you can see my journey. <laughs> it's really, they're all my scriptures that I use to try and walk, walk myself into a place of victory. And so the Bible says in Proverbs that the thoughts of the righteous, we are righteous, are right. And so if the thoughts that are coming into our mind are not right, guess what? They're not your thoughts. Whose are they? They're from the enemy, and you don't accept them. The thoughts of the righteous are right. The thoughts of the righteous, another one says, are only good. And so if there's a horrible thought of jealousy comes on in there, or of of, of kind of offense, that's not you. Don't take the offense. You are not an offended spirit. You are a, a spirit that's made with joy, love, joy, and you're at peace with people. And so if there is no peace in your life, guess what? It's not you. It's an attack from the enemy. And he's trying to take some territory in your life. And he will if you let him. And so that thought of offense, what do you do? Is that right? No, is that peace? No, no, sorry. You see, it didn't come from God. It didn't come from your spirit. And so you abort that thought. I remember... I've got a couple of you know, times when, when I was first learning this and I was first practicing capturing these thoughts. And I, as a, just a young, late 20s, the children were very small, and you know, just, just a dissatisfaction. And I would you know, just drive, drive the, you know, the children somewhere or whatever, and just a kind of a lingering thought of just not happy with life. Just, and this is how Satan will come. He speaks your language. So if you're one of these people that speaks like this, the devil will come to you and speak like that. If you've kind of, kind of one of these, the intellectuals, oh, he's been to university too. And, and he knows exactly how to talk your language. He knows exactly how to mimic your personality. And so it sounds exactly like you. That's exactly how he operates. He doesn't come as some foreigner because he knows that already you'll, you'll reject that. He comes and he sounds like you. And so just the suggestion of just dissatisfaction and I would just kind of allow that thought to stay there for about 30 minutes. And then all of a sudden, after 30 minutes, I'd feel really way down. And there was just no reason for it. I mean, the, the, the sky was blue. You know, everything was, everything was wonderful. But I'd allowed a thought of just not happy, just dissatisfa- dissatisfaction to stay in my mind. And all of a sudden, I wasn't happy. And, and all of a sudden, Stefan would come in and, and, oh dear, what's wrong now? like you guys do uh, she'll get over it in a couple of days it'll go you know you you men are so gracious (laughs) with us ladies that complicate things 
And so what would happen was I would just live on that thought for 30 minutes and then I would spiral down. And I'd end up right down at the very bottom, right in the dump, right in the dark hole. And it'd take me a couple of days to pull myself back out of it, get the word and, you know, just, oh, I'd be putting in the word of God and declaring what God was saying, saying what God said. I still felt real sick and horrible inside, but I was just doing it in this dark place I was in. And eventually I'd be able to pull myself back out of there and I'd get on top again. And ah, I was ready to take on the world. Another one that I used to fight with was condemnation. Incredible condemnation. I never felt good enough for God, even though I just loved him, but I just felt that I just, just was always missing the mark. And so I would get into these scriptures that would talk about, you know, I'm the righteousness of God. There's no condemnation for me now that I'm in Christ Jesus, that I'm holy, I'm unblameable, unreprovable in your sight. Doesn't matter, Father, what anyone else thinks. In your sight, I'm holy. In your sight, I'm unblameable. In your sight, I'm unreprovable. I mean, I was always reproving myself. I just was never good enough for myself. And sometimes Satan knows that and he'll get us to fight against ourselves. We've got all these rules and regulations and all these high things that we think we should be. And when we miss it, we go and slap ourselves and push ourselves down. God doesn't do that to us. God doesn't do. He's the one that he's the glory and he's the lifter of our heads. And if our heads are not being glorified, if we're not being lifted, if our head not, is not being lifted up, it's not God. Somehow we've learned that behavior of judging and putting ourselves down. And God is coming to take over. He's coming to take that territory. He's coming to take that stronghold down out of our lives. Religious thinking, where we've got to, we've got to jump through so many hoops before God approves of us. And so condemnation would come at me and I remember the day oh it was just the most amazing thing I was driving the kids back from school and uh, I was going over one of the, one of the bridges um, just towards where we, we were living in Wainui and uh, I remember the day when this thought just came and I know this thought I'd, I'd fought it many many times before I just knew the feeling it was just kind of there like a snake you know it was just coming in just coming it wasn't quite in the head yet you could just feel the atmosphere coming have you felt like that? A kind of an atmosphere. It's not quite landed yet, but it's just coming, kind of, kind of coming, into, coming into land. And uh, I was just driving there, and I felt this thought. I thought, no, you don't, devil. Now, excuse me for the acting, but this is what I was feeling. I was like, thought, no, you don't, devil. You're not taking me down. I've been down there too many times before. No, you're not coming in. In the name of Jesus. I'll probably the kids at the back. Oh, gosh, have we done something wrong, Mum? <laughs> oh, Mum's yelling. What's going on? <laughs> And I caught that thing. I caught that thought before it took me down. Because once you tip, it's just kind of like there. Depression is the same. It's just there. And if you take it, bang, you'll tip. And once you tip over, you go down and you've got to climb back out. And it can take a day or two to get out of there. And so you catch it before it tips you. And so I caught it that day. My goodness, I got it. <laughs> and I thought, no, you're not doing this to me again. I am the righteousness of God. No condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. Free, 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 free. And I just use my words just to over-talk, over-talk, because he's talking to you, and just over-talk it. And I caught that thing, and it was just amazing. There was just a piece that just disappeared. It just, it just disappeared which proves it's not ours. It just left. 
And God and I took the stronghold and we put the flag of the Holy Ghost on there. It was now God's occupation. He was occupying that territory in my mind. He did that. He did that time and again to loads and loads of areas in my life where we work together, co-laborers together with Christ. And He teach me to grab that thought before it pulled me down. And then we'd stick the flag of victory in there. Stick the flag of victory. And just know it. And just laugh. At destruction and famine, you can laugh. You can laugh at this thing because you've got a hold of it and you're not going down there ever again. And so every one of us have got one of those areas in our lives that we know. In fact, the Bible talks about knowing the weakness of your own soul. In fact, let's have a look at that scripture. It's in the Old Testament. And he says, in fact, he says here, each one of us is to know the plague of our own heart and spread out his hands towards the temple. What does that mean? Is you know the weakness of your own soul. Know that area. Know your own self. And then stretch out your hands to the temple. As in Old Testament talking, stretch out your hands to God and the Word of God and begin to build a place, a stronghold for God in that area. You see, the Bible talks about who are you, O mountain, that you stand before Zerubbabel? By God's word, you shall be made a plain. You know, Zerubbabel was a man. He was in the Old Testament, and he was sent back from the exiles in Babylon, and he was there to build the temple. And bless Zerubbabel's heart, he had a hard time trying to build the temple of God in his life and his city again. And he was having the enemy come. You're not going to do that. Look at you're not going to do that. It's going to come down. You're not going to be able to do that. And he got depressed and he gave up. And God turns around and he visits the man. And he speaks to Zerubbabel. And he says, Zerubbabel, you say to O mountain, who shall stand before you? By God's word, you're going to make a, be, be made a plain. In fact, let me read it. It says, Who are you, O mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall be made a plain. He shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. What's the capstone? That's finishing the thing. God wants us to finish building that territory of victory over our lives. It doesn't matter how many times the enemy comes to say it's not working. You just carry on building the Word of God in there. Carry on bringing reinforcements in there and just build the Word. You will finish that area of your life and you will shout grace to it. The grace of God, the power of God, the reinforcements of God to it. I remember taking that scripture time again and declaring, Who are you, O mountain, that you stand before me? By God's word, you shall be made a plain. I will ride the high places of this earth. He strengthens me, and I'm here to stay. That's all. I'm here to stay. Satan's being removed from this planet, not us. In the end time, he will be removed from this place. He strengthens me. We're here to ride the high places of the earth. You just get that in your spirit. God strengthens me, devil. I'm here to stay. You're the one that's leaving this area of my life. You're not coming in. Jesus said the same thing. Whosoever shall say to the mountain. Said it to us. Who shall ever shall say to the mountain, you be removed, you be cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes the things that he says shall come to pass. He shall have, he shall have whatsoever he says. We are having whatever we say. 
What are we saying to that mountain? What are we saying to that stronghold? Oh my God, it's too big. Or are we saying, like Caleb said in the Old Testament, give me the mountain. I'm as strong now as I was back then. And so you get a fight inside you. You see, warriors, army, the SAS, they've got a fight in them to bring on the enemy because we're just going to wipe another one out. And God wants us to have that feel inside us. He is known as a man of war. One of God's names is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the heavens, armies of heaven. And he wants us to have that kind of blood, as it were, that kind of fight inside us to fight for our rights, fight for the territories, take them, occupy them, put God's flag in and say, Satan, you ain't coming here again. Not allowing culture, not allowing traditions not allowing addictions and behaviors and, and, and the warped parts of our personality, the, the sensual parts to control us, but to be free, free, live as free men, Paul said. And so we found out here that we are to know that weakness of our own soul. Know the weakness of your own soul, know the plague of your own heart. And as I said, it's, it's different for each one of us. I mean, there's different things. Some people are, are, are swaying this way. They're given to, to laziness. And they'll never do anything with their lives. But then you've got other people that are given to workaholics. And they destroyed their marriage because they've got no relationships. And so, and so it's just, the, the, the scope is vast as, a human, as human nature is. But he says here, you know the, the, the plague of your own heart. You know that weakest part. And you know what then we're supposed to do? We're supposed to send in reinforcements. Come on, spirit man. Send in reinforcements. Don't leave your soul out there by itself trying to fight the enemy. It's not equipped to do that by itself. Don't leave your body to fight by itself in the trenches while you're just sitting, sitting asleep. You send in the reinforcements. You get in there with the trenches, with your soul, with your body, and stand and fight and keep sending the reinforcements, keep sending the Word of God in there and reinforce your soul, reinforce your emotions. Just keep sending it in there. Doesn't matter how bad that battle gets. If you don't, you'll fall over anyway. And the, all three of you, your spirit, soul, body will be out. Christians are leaving the earth early because they haven't sent the reinforcements into their, in, into their bodies and died of sickness early. <laughs> Go, Jenny. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so we dig the trench. That's what I did with my own life. And this is my life. You just dig the trench and just stand in there. We're not leaving until we've taken that territory. We're not going to back down and regress. We are here to progress and take each one of the strongholds that have been laid up or have been built up over our lives before we were born again. In our family heritage, which they didn't know any different. In our nations, the prejudice, all the junk. It's in there because Satan has built up. The God of this world has built up to get people fighting against people. Now, there's a magnificent scripture, and I don't have time to read it. But if you read Psalm 42 and just read it with this understanding, you'll find that here's, here's King David, and he's getting all kinds of battles, all kinds of thoughts coming against him because, I mean, he was a fugitive for years and years and years. And the words were saying to him, 
while they continually say to me, where is your God? That's what Satan says when you're you're in that battle. Where's your God? Look at you. You're speaking the word. You're reading the word. You're in connect group. Look at you. There's no improvements. You're going back. Did you see how she looked at you? Yes, that's right. Setting up all kinds of days of our life stuff in your mind. He's expressing this in this scripture. He says, and while they continually say to me, where is your God? And then David says to himself, he says, and I remember the things and I poured out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude when they all went to the house of God with a voice of praise, joy and praise, with a multitude that kept the pilgrimage of the feast. He's talking about, oh yeah, I remember going to, to, to connect group. I remember going to church. I remember when I prayed. I remember those days when it was good. And he speaks to his soul. His spirit speaks to his soul and says, why are you downcast on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Come on, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance. And so there is times when your soul is feeling pretty damaged and pretty bashed around. And we're a good king. The Bible says that we're kings and priests. We're not the kind of king that's going to bash our soul down. And, become, and, and because it's got addictive behavior, we're going to just whip and pass. It's getting bashed around enough, church. We're a good king, and we're going to say, come on, soul, like you would a child. David said in another scripture, my soul is disquieted within me. He says, I will quieten my soul like a, like a child on his mother's breast. And so there's sometimes when your soul is feeling battered with fear, with anger, with whatever, you just, from your spirit, you say, come on. Come on, and it's going to be going, but it's just not fair. The things aren't happening. And just let it, just say, it's, 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 it's all right. We're going to praise God. He's the help of our countenance. We're hoping in God. Come on, let's just get ourselves. Come on, pick ourselves up. Yes, you have been in battle. It's okay to talk to yourself. David did. We can talk to ourselves. We can encourage ourselves. The Bible says, encourage yourself in the Lord. And so we do that. We can encourage ourselves. And when we fall, Come on, the righteous fall seven times, Vanessa, but you get up again, girl. Come on, get up again. You're the best encourager for yourself. You're the best encourager for your soul, for your mind, your emotions. You are the encourager. You're with yourself all that time, and you pull yourself back up again. Whatever it is. You see, it starts with a thought, and if you just give me a few more minutes, we're nearly finished. It starts with a thought, and I just wrote one down here of a, of a housewife, and if you just let me, I guess, just read it. It could be a wife, and she, she loves her husband, but she gets annoyed with him for some of the behaviors, and instead of casting it down, she lives on it and allows it to grow. And after a week, her behavior changes towards him. You men, you know that. If you're married, this happens a lot. You know, ladies, when you get that thought about your husband, he's just annoying. Like that, and then you just live on it. And then a week later, you're just not talking, and he's just thinking, what? Oh, it's interesting. Like this. You know, he's doing the dishes then, and he's trying to keep the peace. So he's just kind of walking around. Men are men of peace. Just trying to walk around her. And just think it's going to settle down. <laughs> and he thinks, oh, it's going, to, it's going to blow over. It's about three days. She's going to be fine. It's all fine. But you see, she nurses this thing. 
She nurses this annoyance and she begins to build a case around herself. Guess who's giving her the building material? That's right, Satan. He's giving her the building material. Finally, she gets a hold of her emotions and they make up, say sorry to each other and then things go smoothly for a while. But then Satan comes around again and he knows the wall she's built and he goes around that same that same program all over again, starts again. The annoyance, the cold, cold shoulder, him thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to blow over. <laughs> and that thing builds and builds and builds until you've got death in that relationship. It happens all the time. In church and out of the church, divorce. Where did it start? It started with a thought. It started with a thought back there. Walls that had been built up that were never pulled down. And then Satan comes again, the wall's built up a little bit higher. They figure a little bit higher. And he just comes back and keeps on building, keeps on building until he's got a strong hold until she can't find her way out of that. And the guy wondered what on earth happened. It happens all the time. And so how do we get there? It started with the thought she came under the sway of the wicked one. She didn't even know it. She wasn't in Victory Church and learning how to get a hold of this. <laughs> and so bless these two people that love each other. And they do love each other, but an enemy has done it, and they didn't know. And so some of the TV programs that we're listening to, or people are listening to, you know, on television, you've got Desperate Housewives. Whew, I've never watched the program, but it's just the title tells me I don't want to watch it. I just don't want to watch that. I don't want to go there. Home and away, some of these places. Who wants to be home and then you're away? I want to stay home. I ran away too many times, Stephen, tell you. <laughs> Down the street with my car. Where am I going? I don't know. <laughs> Get an hour down the road. <laughs> Got to come back. I mean, I've been there 25, 30 years ago. I don't want to go there. So I don't want to watch that and meditate on that and allow my soul that I'm supposed to be guarding and protecting to be under that influence. Vogue magazine, Women's Weekly. New idea. Well, we don't, I don't want their new ideas. Their new ideas come out of Hollywood. I want God's ideas. His new ideas, the new creation. Look at that, God says. And so for a while, we may have to fast some of this stuff. Just fast those TV programs while we're trying to get a hold of our mind. That's what I would say to any young bride, any young woman. Just fast some of that stuff. And put the Word of God in your life. It doesn't mean to say you'll never read or see those things again. But for a period of time to get a hold of your soul and to get some peace in there and get the Word of God in there, you don't need to see that. You know, and I, and I mean, I've said this to different people. I've worked too hard to put the Word of God in, to allow myself to sit and watch some of that stuff and to undo all the work that I've done. I just can't be bothered. It's too much work to fight to get and to stand in victory, to go and look at some of that stuff. It just repulses me, to be honest. And so for a season, we may fast some of that stuff and then go and I know you men like action and I'm starting to like some of the action stuff, the war stuff I've been really enjoying. It's sort of, it's, at least it's not seductive and sexual and sensual stuff. That's just all for my soul. I just cannot handle that. And, and really none of us should. Uh, we, we, are, we are a different people. 
And so we're learning in closing. Let's just let's close. We're learning how to take the limits off. And it starts with our thoughts. Starts with our thoughts. If we can just get a hold of that, it starts with my thoughts. You see, God has got a book of the unsearchable riches of Christ he wants us to come into. He's got a book with exceedingly great and precious promises he wants us to look into and allow our soul to be washed in the word, allow our soul to be built up in the word so that we are spiritually minded beings. And when we have our spirit and we have our soul and our body lined up, the three parts of our being, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. It's the Jesus kind of life that each one of us was called to live. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you right now, Lord God, for your amazing word. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing truth that we can grab a hold of even this morning and make a fresh commitment to you, Lord God, that we are walking in this truth, that we're walking in your truth, that we're walking in the lifestyle of the sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you, Father God, that in that place, Father, you've said that we take the limits off the place of signs and wonders and miracles, the place where all things are possible. We receive that into our heart, into our mind, and into our bodies, into our lives, Father. We just thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.